the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Back to our conversation. Okay, here's the big question for you, parents. And that is simply this. Do your kids tend to get the most attention when they're in trouble? And what are you doing the rest of the time? Addressing that question, the book, No More Perfect Kids, Love Your Kids for Who They Are. Co-author Jill Savage is with us. And, and Jill, what about that? I mean, I know that we live very busy lifestyles, and oftentimes both parents are working and we're running to and fro. we got jobs to maintain. We have houses to, to take care of, grocery shopping to do. got to get the kids to uh, everything from band practice to soccer practice and everything in between. And then we, we think we're giving our kids a lot of attention, but then the the, the real one-on-one attention seems in some cases to only really excel when they're in trouble. Uh, it's true, and I think it's an easy way, an easy place for us as parents to, to fall into. Uh, you know, the book is built around questions that each of our kids are asking deep inside their hearts. They're questions that we asked when we were kids. Uh, those questions are uh, simple questions like, um, do you like me? You know, that was one that, that you mentioned a little bit earlier. But another question is, am I important to you? And uh, in today's uh, fast-paced life, oftentimes our kids are only getting our attention when they do something negative, when we're correcting them, and that doesn't tell them that they're important. And so I think we really have to, um, we have to, and, and also if our goal is to get to know our child, to study our child, uh, only, you know, interacting and knowing them when, when their behavior is negative is not going to help us explore. Uh, so we really need to spend time with our kids. We need to, to dig into, to life with them and, um, you know, we have a, a son that, are, the one that wasn't musical that I uh, was sharing earlier, he loves to run. And when he was in junior high, uh, we encouraged him to do cross country. And he actually, when he was in seventh grade, he won the, the state cross country meet. And so here he was, seventh grade, he was winning state. And in our minds, we're thinking, by the time he gets to high school, he is going to be one of the top runners and possibly have scholarship opportunities. So, of course, we encouraged him to keep going and keep going and keep running, and he hated it. He hated cross-country, and we thought, why? Why? He loved to run, but why? Well, we spent some time digging into that, and, and instead of just correcting him and pushing him, uh, we, you know, just tried to have some very intentional conversations and really come to understand him. And it took us a while to dig it out of him and figure out what was at the heart of it. But here's the deal. He loved to run. He hated competition. Mm. This is where knowing our child and knowing their heart 
and and having compassion and love and acceptance and perception. Those are the uh, four antidotes to the perfection infection. So perception is that we're really perceiving or trying to perceive or paying attention to what's going on on the inside of our child's heart. How do we know, though, when to push and when not to push? Because there's another example out of the book that you share with uh, one of the four musical children whom you encouraged to take a semester of choir, and I understand that he went into that thing kicking and screaming all the way, and uh, a couple of days into it said, forget about it, I'm not going to do it, and all these fights and you insisted he had to complete at least one semester and slowly all of a sudden he's coming home and talking about new friends that he met in choir practice and they're going to be traveling here to do this and before you know it uh, this became as you suggested inside the book one of the highlights of his scholastic career so how do you know that delicate balance of, of when to push and when not to push that is a great question and it comes down to knowing your child you, it comes down to paying attention to the little things. That same child, I also share a story in the book, that that same child wanted to play football when he was in sixth grade. And the only place you could do that was on a community team. And so we made arrangements for him. to, And we couldn't imagine. He didn't seem like the football type, but he wanted to play football. And so we uh, allowed him to do that, and he came home the first day uh, from practice, hated it. Uh, in tears, I don't want to go back. And we said, oh, my gosh, of course you're going back. You've wanted this, you know, for years, and uh, you're not, we're not raising a quitter. And so we sent him back the second time. He came back again in tears. I hate it. I don't want to do this anymore. Third day, same thing. By the fourth day, I noticed that he had actually bit his nails down to the quick. He, his nails were bleeding. This child was so emotionally uh, overwhelmed and distraught with the possibility of going to that football practice that I remember the day that my husband and I said, oh, my gosh, this is not worth it. This is not worth it. It's, it is stressing him out in a way that is unhealthy. And we actually allowed him to quit. So then several years later, of course, when we required him to take the music class that he didn't want to take, uh, we didn't see that same kind of stress. We saw his will, and he was not happy that we were requiring him to take choir. Um, but you know what? He eventually... Uh, grew to love it, and we thought that that would be the situation. So I think it comes down to paying attention to your child, really knowing them, and we could have just kept pushing him to do that football, and who knows where we would have been with him emotionally uh, because it was obviously stressing him out and to a, to a place that was actually unhealthy. But I think it comes down to really paying attention to the little things, to what's going on on the inside, uh, to having those conversations. You know, our kids tend to like to talk at bedtime. And for parents, most of us are like, I want to just tell you good night, kiss you good night, and go to bed because I'm done. Yeah. (laughs) We're just done at that moment in time. And that's a lot of times when we get to hear our kids' heart or they'll share something. 
And so we have to, we have to make ourselves available for those conversations and know our child and pay attention to those little things that often give us a clue to what's going on with them. And it comes back to such an important point of balance as we've discussed, I think, throughout our visit today. And you mentioned this in the book. Parents, we have to be mindful that our kids are created first and foremost. They may like, they may look like us in the mirror, but at the end of the day, they're created in God's image, not our own. And we know that God has no stepchildren and that he has a unique individual plan and calling on each and every one of our lives. And what you want for your child, as wonderful and altruistic as it may be, may not necessarily be what God wants for your child. And so um, learning to know what the purpose and calling us of their, is on their life, allowing them to experience failure, correcting them without criticizing them, getting to know your kids, uh, particularly as, as you point out, Jill, the difference that it makes when we know as a parent when we should push and when not to push can make all the difference between um, – not creating maybe or, or raising perfect kids, but certainly happy and successful children. And that, I think, yes. at the end of the day, is the most important thing. It is. It really is. And I think the more uh, we get to know our children and then as they get older, it's also important for them to get to know us and uh, for them to know that our failures, our struggles, and because at, at, a, at some point, they need to know we're not perfect either. Life is hard. We all have struggles. We all have things that we have to work through. Uh, failure is a normal part of this living experience. And so the more we help our kids know that those are normal things in their life because they're normal things in our life, that also gives them permission to not try to be perfect, but to embrace the what I call the perfecting process that God has all of us in. Because we mature best through our failures, through our struggles, through coming to know ourselves. Yeah, and, and that, that's the perfecting process. Indeed so. And, and of course, that perfecting process is one that God largely works out. And so at the end of the day, parents, you can have a deep sigh of relief here. No more perfect kids. Just loving our kids for who they are. The new book, by the way, you'll find it at uh, bookstores throughout the Bay Area. Amazon.com has it as well. It's published by Moody and uh, our guest today, the co-author, Jill Savage. Information, too, on Jill's website at jillsavage.org. That's Jill, J-I-L-L, Jill Savage. Dot O-R-G. And our thanks to Arthur Jill Savage for being with us tonight on this edition of Lifeline. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. The White House has been expressing regret over the way in which Qurans were disposed of in Afghanistan. Now, you might recall a couple of three years ago, maybe four years ago, Pallets of New Testaments were sent to Afghanistan by Christian organization here in America to be available to distribution to members of the United States military. The very presence of God's word on Afghan soil made the Afghanis so upset that in order to deal with the controversy, the United States military burned them. 
didn't put them back on a plane and ship them back to the States. They just set them on fire. Nobody said a word. We complained about it on this program. Few others covered the story. Largely, nobody said a word. Now, the White House is doing a lot of hand-wringing over this entire issue because it seems as if uh, there's major concerns over the fact that the United States military improperly, quote-unquote, disposed of copies of the Koran in Afghanistan. In fact, there's uh, been some statements made by uh, General John Allen, commander for the International Security Assistance Force, offering his sincere apologies over what transpired. ISAF personnel at Bagram Air Base improperly disposed of a large number of Islamic religious materials, which included Qurans. We immediately intervened and stopped them. The materials recovered will be properly handled by appropriate religious authorities. We are thoroughly investigating the incident, and we are taking steps to ensure this does not ever happen again. Of course, it's their country, and I guess they can have their own rules with regard to Sharia law and so forth. But I just find it quite ironic that uh, they had no issue with the burning of thousands of Bibles, and yet Qurans being disposed of inappropriately, and everything in the United States military comes to a grinding halt. Waleed Shobat joins us now. He himself is the author of a number of best-selling books, including Dear Muslim, Let Me Tell You Why I Believed. Of Israel and the World's Mock Trial, and his latest book, God's War on Terror. And Wally, great to have you back on the program. Thank you for having me. What is uh, first your reaction to this news uh, coming out of Afghanistan with regards to the apologies and the mea culpas and the handling of these Qurans? Well, it's very shocking. Uh, we've had those kind of apologies uh, happen when uh, I believe also military servicemen urinated on dead terrorists yet that's a major issue yet the killing of Americans or even the invitation of uh, the uh, 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 Prime Minister of Transportation of Iraq which was involved who was involved in the Khobar Tower massacres killing American servicemen uh, he's welcome to the White House you know those kind of things is beginning to show the American people that there is uh, a double standard here in which the Obama administration uh, suppresses uh, the issues that relate to the American people's rights to investigate even the 9-11 issues in which uh, Judge Daniels, a federal judge in the Havlish case, discovered that Iran is involved in 9-11 in which uh, agents of the Iranian regime uh, like Hadi Al-Amri visits the White House, and of course the president uh, releases, uh, sends back, I guess, our troops uh, as a Christmas present, yet ignoring those issues of persecution of Christians globally in Egypt, uh, in Iraq, uh, in much of the Muslim world, uh, in which, uh, let's face it, I mean, there is thousands of cases in which Islamists burned uh, Bibles, uh, even in historical uh, recent times, uh, and even back to the Damur massacre in Lebanon, in which they used them for toilet paper. They used Bibles for toilet paper. Let's not forget the destruction of holy sites, even in Israel. Nothing was done by our administration. 
in which uh, even Joseph's tomb was desecrated and Torah scrolls were defecated on and uh, things that are is very difficult to describe on the program. Instead of addressing the major issues that we have, you know, uh, in which the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt are advancing through deception, that's a subject we'd love to discuss on your show, in which they use uh, uh, what is called Muruna to twist the uh, Sharia laws itself and permit Muslims from carrying out all kinds of evil activities. Well, let's talk about what's going on there, uh, since you brought it up. Uh, we, we all know, of course, 30 years ago, the assassination of Anwar Sadat, largely because he dared to enter into a peace agreement uh, with the nation of Israel. Um, for the course of the following 30 years, Hosni Mubarak, granted while somewhat uh, favorable or friendly with uh, the West, nevertheless, was a totalitarian leader. Uh, he eventually gets ousted, as we know, during the so-called uh, Arab Spring. And uh, this is applauded much by the administration that we see the deposing of this dictator and the idea of a true democracy now coming to um, Egypt. And yet instead, we instead what we've really seen is, is the overtaking of that nation by the 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 Islamists, uh, we've seen better than eighty percent elected to the parliament. There, it is just within the last um, several weeks, for example, uh, there in Egypt, that some three thousand Coptic Christians were driven from their homes and villages, businesses burned down, churches burned down, uh, and yet the international media, uh, let alone the administration, has nothing to say about this. Nothing whatsoever. In fact, the general guide of the Egyptian Muslim Brotherhood, Muhammad Badir, who laid out his vision for the post-revolutionary era in Egypt, while revealing aspects of strategy uh, to his followers, showed a great deal of uh, how to combat secularism. In fact, they're reversing secularism in Egypt. In fact, I quote him verbatim, I translated it. It was translated from the Arabic. He says, do not fight in the ways of the world because they are overpowering, but try to overcome and use them, change their course and pit some of them against the other. It's a master scheme of reversing secularism in Egypt and advancing Islamist cause and saying that the Muslims now need to kind of join in with secularists in order to pit uh, people against each other and change the course of the situation in Egypt. Uh, when Badia says to overcome and use the ways of the world, he is instructing Muslims worldwide on how to overcome Western secularism. It was precisely this purpose for which the Muslim Brotherhood advanced a new doctrine called Muruna, M-U-R-U-N-A, which Americans and Westerners fairly are accustomed to. It was prescribed by Sheikh Yusuf al-Qaradawi, the main Muslim Brotherhood intellect, and what its goal is to basically sanction all Islamic prohibitions. In other words, we're talking about Sharia laws, despite the Sharia laws is really in contrary to our constitution, uh, now certain Sharia laws that basically protects uh, human beings for surviving or protects or even uh, prohibits Muslims in working in banks. They're all permitted. Now, uh, uh, the Muslim Brotherhood has, has an injunction to allow the killing uh, of even Muslims in Western countries, 
uh, if they are shielded by Western society, it's okay. As long as you kill the Americans, you kill the Muslims in, in, in the process, that's fine. I could go through all kinds of documents and all kinds of issues here, uh, but Americans need to begin to understand the deception factor that the Muslim Brotherhood is applying with Maruna, in which they reverse uh, all uh, laws, even in Sharia, to make permitted, to permit the Muslims from uh, carrying out evil acts. In fact, I could give the quotes uh, to show what this plan is all about. Let me have you pause at that point. I want to have you share uh, that, if you would, Wally, but do so uninterrupted. So let's do this. Let's get an update on traffic real quick here, get a look at some headline news. We'll come back to more of our conversation. Wally Shobot, my guest, as we're talking about uh, the the deception plan uh, underway in Egypt. And I tell you, we got a lot to be concerned about, folks. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to our conversation. Waleed Shobat, my guest. Waleed, if you're not familiar with his work in ministry, is a former Palestinian terrorist and um, joins us now as we're talking about uh, what's been going on with the changes uh, since the fall of the Mubarak regime in uh, Egypt last year. Uh, there have been so much hope of the so-called Arab Spring, but yet as we've seen nation after nation in that region, Tunisia and Libya and Egypt and so on, fall, uh, we're beginning to find out that this Arab Spring is turning into the Islamic winter. Talk a bit about um, what you were sharing just before the break, Waleed, and that is uh, this tactic that's being used by the Muslim Brotherhood that has gained so much power, almost 75-80% of the seats in the Egyptian parliament now under their control. Uh, what exactly are they up to right now, and, and what's going on with the changes in relation to the Sharia law there? Well, it is actually a tactic titled Maruna. M, like Mary, U-R-U-N-A. In fact, people could look it up and look at my research by just plugging my name, Shubat and Maruna. It was a doctrine that was prescribed by, by none other than Sheikh Yusuf al-Qaradawi, who's the main Muslim Brotherhood intellect. He initiated the doctrine in December, as far back as 1989, December. While in, he was in the, while in the United States, even during an annual conference with the Association of the Muslim Youth Forum with Muhammad Hamidi, who, by the way, is a leading rebel in Libya who participated heavily in the Arab Spring. Hamidi is also the head of the Muslim Brotherhood in Mauritania. So the idea of Muruna is really to pull the wool, pull the, you know, uh, deceive the West in talking about this whole idea of Arab Spring and all of these things, when it, in fact it is an Islamic Spring, and the doctrine really aspires for deception against the West. The doctrine really is a, was a long-term plan. Uh, it, it should be very great interest to every American. In, in, in what the forum terms, the priorities of the Islamic movement in the next three decades, from 1990 to 2020, they plan to attain what they described as what they called the goal of the Islamic movement, which confirms the general leader of the Muslim Brotherhood, Badir, which he made it recently, the statement that uh, they want to basically uh, uh, have Egypt come back and change the society, and I quote it verbatim, to lead society, all of society, 
to bring back the caliphate to announce jihad either by arms or by pen or, or by heart. And they talk about global takeover of the world. Muruna was designed to catapult and advance Sharia by using Western means. And if one thinks that Sharia with its harsh code is problematic enough, how about the elimination of the kinder, gentler laws of Sharia? Muruna is literally accomplished by permitting behavior normally is eschewed uh, by the Sharia law itself that Westerners logically see more moderate version of Islam. When such prohibitions are suddenly permitted, uh, you, be you begin to see uh, a change in the Muslim world. Westerners, you know, in fact, uh, are being deceived. Murun is about going to great lengths to gain interest through uh, a much deeper level of deception, while simultaneously lowering the guard and gaining the support of the what they call the infidels. Uh, in fact, uh, the series of preparing the atmosphere under the uh, what they call the workings of a si'ah, which is inclusion and muruna, which is flexibility in this case. And this is the quote that they have in their law, in this doctrine verbatim, translated into English. It says, Sharia's ability to be flexible and inclusive is that it cares for their needs while excusing the burdens Muslims have to endure. For the sake of their destiny, it was made lawful for them to have exceptions from the law that are appropriate for them since these exceptions match their general goals to make it easy for humanity. By removing the chains of Sharia law, they were made to adhere in previous Sharia rulings. In other words, let's make null and void Sharia laws that prohibit the Muslim from doing certain things well, by befriending the unbelievers, working in banking, a Muslim girl uh, now is allowed to marry a non-Muslim in the West, as we've seen with the case of Anthony Weiner and Huma Abedin, which her mother, Saliha Abedin, was a member of the Muslim Brotherhood. Now, this is why I began to investigate this whole issue. That story then raised a red flag. How could it be possible that Sheikh Yusuf al-Karadawi of the Muslim Brotherhood allows such a marriage when in Islam it's prohibited. In fact, it, it mandates the death penalty. So the West in this case sees, wow, look, the Muslim Brotherhood has moderated when nothing of the such. It is really a ruse in order to basically put spies in the West. This, this, is, this, is, this is really infiltration, what we're talking about here then. Exactly what it is. In fact, it's infiltration to the point that all the Islamic injunctions, all the uh, prohibitions have been made to be uh, uh, sanctified. In fact, I can uh, give one quote that basically puts an end to the argument. Uh, and this quote from Muruna Doctrine by the Muslim Brotherhood, it states, I quote, When evil and harm conflict as necessities demand, we must then choose the least of the two evils or harms. This is what the experts in jurisprudence decided. If interests and harms and evils conflict or benefits conflict with evils, what is then to be decided is to review each benefit and each evil and its consequences so the minor evils are forgiven 
for the sake of the greater long-term benefit. In fact, I add what they have stated here, which is more extreme. He said, they say, the evil is, so, uh, is also accepted even if that evil is extreme and normally considered deplorable. In other words, deplorable evils now are permitted in Islam in order to carry out these interests for the Muslim Brotherhood. Wow. Let's pause on that point. We're going to come back. I mean, this again, you talk about the frog and the kettle approach, this notion of temporary setting aside of some aspects of Sharia law, as Walid Shobat is suggesting, uh, in order to allow Islam greater ability to penetrate uh, Western life. Uh, all with the idea in mind of not becoming a you know friendlier, uh, uh, newer version of Islam, but rather uh, in order to penetrate to have greater influence uh, with a goal in mind of, of uh, doing just that, and that is the changing of our culture and our society. This is serious stuff. We're going to take a time out. We'll come back to more of our conversation. His latest best-selling book, God's War on Terror, Former Palestinian terrorist Walid Shobat. Back to more of our conversation as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, back to our conversation tonight with Walid Shobat. Walid is uh, formerly involved with the PLO. Uh, he of anybody in this country understands exactly what is going on with the so-called Arab Spring, which for many is turning into an Islamic winter. We're talking about the Islamic Brotherhood, or the Muslim Brotherhood, rather, uh, their impact on Middle Eastern politics, most specifically what they've done in Egypt and other parts of the world. And it's interesting because when you talk, Walid, about the degree of uh, the Muruna uh, deception here, uh, this goes to the highest levels. There are reports that we have read uh, during the fall of regimes in Libya with Gaddafi and in Egypt with Mubarak that the influence of the Muslim Brotherhood uh, has been lauded as, quote, mostly or largely secular, and that they have been considered heroes uh, in opening a pathway toward democracy. But is this the case? And that's absolutely false. It's not true. The uh, Nahda in Tunisia is very much pro-Muslim Brotherhood. Uh, in fact, in all these countries, they're talking about advancing towards Jerusalem, which has nothing to do with any Arab Spring. It's the idea is to topple uh, all Arab regimes and uh, uh, do away with nationalism altogether for the sake of an Islamic utopia. Uh, all the statements coming out of all the Middle Eastern uh, uh, countries that toppled their regimes, they're talking about advancing Sharia law. They're talking about a utopian... Uh, conquest of Islam. Uh, in fact, many who are astute to Islamic lying, I'm sure you've heard of the term taqiyya, which uh, allows Islamists to lie, but this is much greater. Uh, with Muruna and the Muslim Brotherhood and advancement of what's happening in the Arab Spring, uh, what was uh, once forbidden by Sharia from major crimes like Muslims killing Muslims to issues of interest banking that include alliances with infidels was made temporarily now lawful by Muruna. In fact, I give the exact quote. The, the, the Muruna doctrine states, it is permissible then to have alliances with powers that are non-Muslim. They ask the question, 
can Muslims work in banks that practice usury? For the young Muslims, they should not leave their jobs in banks and insurance agencies, despite that their work is evil, since their experience in these agencies would gain experience for what would benefit the Muslim commerce. Whoever examines the issues in the light of the doctrine of a balance, that is Maruna, would find that entry into these arenas is not merely a project, but a preference and a duty. In other words, it is really asking all Muslim communities to infiltrate the West, to infiltrate the banking systems. In fact, even the issues when it comes to the right to life, the individual right to life can be eliminated under this new law. Uh, under the section titled The Necessities of the Group, Qaradawi explains that, and I quote, uh, uh, as Sharia considers the individual needs, it permits many prohibitions and considers the necessities of the community. Qaradawi is not short of examples and even commands the killing of Muslims whom the unbelievers use as shields, since leaving these unbelievers is a danger to the Muslims. So it is permissible to kill these unbelievers, even if they killed Muslims uh, in the process. So death, mayhem, and even prostitution is sanctioned by the uh, Muslim Brotherhood. Uh, in fact, that's a topic that it, it will open the Western eyes about sanctioning prostitution, because even in Iran, when they sanction the idea of pleasure marriage, I'm sure you've heard of pleasure marriages in Iran, but how many Americans are familiar with misyar marriage, in which um, middlemen can seal uh, deals with Muslim male clients uh, in order to obtain a Muslim woman under a contract called marriage contract for simply giving sexual services? In fact, you can access it yourself on the Internet. For Internet-savvy travelers, there are countless websites like Misyar Online, M-E-S-I-A-R, online, one word, that allow men to arrange these marriages globally, including in the United States, from the comfort of their hotel rooms, in order to basically uh, bring these women for their pleasure marriages, and it's not really a marriage, because the prostitution document says it's a marriage document. Misyar, in fact, was made legal in Saudi Arabia and Egypt. Made legal, sanctioned. It is law now in Egypt and Saudi Arabia to commit these acts of whoredom. Uh, Sunnis who approve Misyar condemn, of course, the Shiites for muta. yet they have the same things. What the West needs to understand is that all these things about the Shiites with uh, uh, taqiyah, lying to the enemy, or pleasure marriages are same sanctioned in the Sunni world as well and made lawful in the Sunni world. And in the end, all of this comes down to the matter of, of deception for the purpose of infiltration. And, and once they're able to penetrate Waleed, what becomes the agenda then? Well, the agenda, we've seen it. The penetration already happened, you know. Uh, it's been going on for many years. You have Rashad Hussein, who writes the speech for President Obama. I mean, Americans ought to wake up. I look at the Arabic language, and I see interview between Rashad Hussein, the speechwriter of President Obama, and when he made the speech in Egypt, I could see the interview in Al-Ahram newspaper in Arabic language, in which the editor 
is asking him, when is the time that you will intervene in the issues of nuclear issues with Iran and so on and so forth? And, of course, Rashad Hussein, the speechwriter of President Obama, says that I will intervene when the time is right. It's all about timing. It's all about when they gain the foothold in the West by the time they fight people like me and you and all these people who begin to expose the issues. You could see much of the media talking about anti-Semitism, not that uh, there is uh, uh, racism against Jews, but anti-Semitism has been coined to talk about racism with Muslims when, in fact, there is no such thing. Look, America is a country that talks about racism more than any other country in the world. Yet the United States exercises the least amount of racism than any other country in the world. How does the Muslim make the argument that America commits racism against Muslims when the majority of racism that still exists, even in this country, is against Jews? So, you know, this is part of the deception. They, begin, they want to also put in code laws that basically prohibits the freedom of speech in America, in which the Organization of Islamic Council mandated the trial uh, of uh, uh, anyone who says anything against Islam or even critiques Islam to basically even face trial in the Middle East. So if, the, if that happens, that means people like myself and even your own program will be under scrutiny and our freedoms are gone. Uh, so all our forefathers, what they bled and fought for, is for, for, for nil. And this is what the goal is, to take away the freedom of Americans and begin the process of the Islamization of the world. Of course, we know that it's taking place literally right underneath our noses. Get more information, by the way, uh, online at Walid's website, Shobat, it's S-H-O-E-B-A-T, Shobat.com. His latest book is entitled God's War on Terror. Information again on the website at Shobat.com or through Amazon.com. And Wally, always a delight and an education to have you with us, brother. We appreciate your time today. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to KFAX.com. That's KFAX.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time round, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved.